Is the mic on? Hello? Hello? Is the mic on? Hello? 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 It doesn't seem to work, does it? It's on. It's switched on. Yes. Welcome this afternoon. Uh, it's uh, it's a pleasure it's a pleasure to welcome all of you here today this afternoon to our event on uh, taxation and in fact uh, reforming uh, taxation decision making in the European Union. I'm delighted and pleased to welcome today Pierre Moscovici, who is the commissioner. Um, uh, for uh, not only taxation and customs, but also economic and financial affairs, but today you come as the Commissioner for Taxation. Um, the Commission has recently published um, a communication in which it calls for a change in... Can you still hear me? Yeah, now it's better, okay. The, the European Commission has just published a communication in which um, it calls for a reform of the decision-making process uh, with the aim to uh, eventually come to uh, qualified majority voting and an involvement of the European Parliament um, in uh, taxation matters. And so we are absolutely delighted uh, to hear today first from uh, the Commissioner um, what exactly does this proposal entail, how does he see um, also the politics of that proposal. And following his um, presentation, uh, we will have a debate, um, and I'm pleased to uh, welcome uh, Johannes Becker, who is a, a professor at uh, the University of Münster, and uh, Paola Profeta, who is a professor at Bocconi University, to give her comment, their comments and remarks. Uh, but with, before I ask them on the floor, uh, let me first welcome you and give you the floor. Thank you very much for coming today. Thank you. And uh, uh, I'm really pleased to be uh, with you uh, to discuss um, European taxation and in particular this uh, commission's uh, communication uh, calling for a move to qualified majority voting in uh, tax matters. Uh, why now? I will be frank, uh, that's politics. It's because the mandate is ending, because the uh, European elections are coming, and because uh, I wanted that there would be a public debate. Why not before? Uh, because uh, we approved through uh, unanimity that we uh, could move uh, towards um, uh, fighting tax fraud and tax evasion. And I think that if we would have opened the debate before, it would have been closed already. So I think that's uh, time for politics. That's time for democracy. Uh, and um, I hope that uh, political parties, uh, especially the pro-European, will seize the debate and uh, uh, try to convince citizens that it's uh, worthwhile moving in that direction. I dream of a future European Parliament with a huge majority of uh, MEPs uh, calling member states to uh, move away from the certainties and uh, some shyness. 
Uh, with um, this communication, we are inviting member states, uh, the European Parliament, all stakeholders, uh, engage in the, uh, such a debate on how to take more effective uh, decisions in the very sensitive and strategic um, area of taxation. And very concretely, what we are doing is to propose the activation of uh, the EU's uh, treaty uh, pastoral clause. Uh, this uh, would uh, allow the use of um, qualified majority voting within the competences of the treaty and in full respect of CDRT. As you know, pastoral clause requires unanimity to transfer matters from unanimity to QMV, but it was the only uh, credible legal vehicle that we had in our possession. I'm convinced uh, through uh, now uh, four years and more of experience that the way in which tax rules are adopted uh, in the European Union needs urgent modernization. Uh, I'm well aware that um, this position is not shared by every member state, and if I would have a doubt that the last uh, ECOFIN and the first discussion of my proposal would have raised them. I can see, as a matter of fact, that there is a clear majority of member states which are still attached to unanimity, even if uh, there is a, a strong group, uh, and this includes Germany and France, uh, who uh, would be uh, favorable to some moves in that direction. It is uh, possible that many of you uh, here today uh, share this uh, view either, and so I would therefore like to discuss why we want to move gradually from unanimity uh, to qualified majority voting in tax matters and why I consider that this change must happen rather sooner than later, to say the least. I uh, believe that maintaining the uh, unanimity um, uh, rule in tax matters would raise four major problems. First, let's be uh, conscious that the unanimity rule was a, I would say, 20th century reflex, um, and that in the 21st century, simply, it makes just no sense. Uh, as early as the uh, signing of the uh, Treaty of Rome in 1957, the founding fathers then, and member states, uh, decided that taxation was an essential element of the internal market, uh, and they decided for that particular reason, to share their sovereignty over cross-border aspects of taxation. Not all aspects of taxation, but some aspects of taxation. At the time, unanimity was uh, the rule for all decisions between uh, the uh, six founding countries to protect national sovereignty, and this uh, argument is, of course, very strong and still exists today. But uh, if I look at 2019, that's where we are, uh, more than 60 years later, uh, this old-fashioned rule uh, hasn't changed, and taxation remains one of the last bastions of unanimity alongside with social matters and also foreign policy. Uh, to be frank, I find it totally absurd and uh, ineffective. It is surprising, and I'm weighing my words, to, to observe that the unanimity rule is still the principle in tax matters, whereas QMV has become the norm in the EU, uh, even uh, for issues as politically sensitive as taxation, uh, such as, for example, police cooperation or judicial cooperation in civil and criminal matters. And I really don't see why uh, taxation should be uh, there a taboo. Why uh, do uh, EU government uh, uh, should be able to move to QMV on the fight against terrorism? 
uh, in less than 20 years, but still fail to do the same on taxation. Second reason, uh, the unanimity rule uh, is no longer protecting national sovereignty. Uh, rather, I would say that it prevents uh, the emergence of genuine European sovereignty in tax matters. The debate uh, we have opened raises a profound uh, political question. What are the threats to our tax uh, sovereignty in the 21st century? Um, all we have to do is to open our eyes and to look uh, around us. Um, it's today biggest stressed uh, apathetical uh, harmonization of, of rates proposed by Brussels, which is, uh, by the way, not possible under EU law. Uh, I, I never proposed that. I can dream of that sometimes, but I never proposed that. Uh, or is it the aggressive tax planning um, organized on a large scale by many multinationals and also by some third countries, which deprives member states of a massive public revenues? I think that if you ask the um, question this way, and for me, the answer is clear. Today, the unanimity rule is no longer a bulwark. It is an obstacle. Uh, only a stronger ability to decide and to act together at the uh, union le level through qualified majority voting can be uh, protective for our member states. I'm fully aware that some member states are using the sovereignty argument to oppose the uh, transition to QMV, and they're not only using it, they're really believing it. Uh, I'm not doubting of their sincerity. Um, I'm afraid it might be a flawed argument uh, and a false excuse given by some member states, not all of them, uh, to preserve a tax framework that is on the edge of legality to attract the most affluent companies and citizens. In the long run, these models um, will have uh, to change as they expose the huge external dependence of these economies, and they are damaging for the EU as a whole. So I urge member states to consider not only their own interest, but the general interest, the general European interest. Should we leave the design of our tax systems in the hands of other global powers, other countries, or global businesses, uh, giving up uh, on billions of tax revenues? Or do we want the um, emergence of a genuine European sovereignty that will guarantee a modern and fair tax framework for all? Once again, uh, if you ask the question this way, I think the uh, answer is pretty clear and requires a more effective decision-making rule. To be fair with member states, uh, they have strengthened the fight against tax fraud and tax evasion, and during this mandate, we have succeeded in getting some 12 uh, directives to combat uh, fraud and tax optimization unanimously adopted. And some ministers who imagine that uh, uh, flattering an ego uh, is uh, enough, tell me, why should we do more since uh, uh, we've done, since you've done so much with unanimity? Um, I think that some member states are using this progress in the current debate as evidence that unanimity is not a problem. And this certainly is not correct. Uh, these decisions were possible, and I'm conscious of that, only because of the huge political pressure on member states, uh, by medias, by a European public opinion, to respond swiftly to tax scandals that were revealed by the press. And because many of these proposals had already been negotiated and agreed by member states at the OECD, in 
the um, BEPS framework or uh, under the G20 uh, guidance. And so, let's be clear, this is a moment. This might not be permanent. Uh, I don't know what will happen after this mandate in other circumstances. And what I know uh, is that we uh, have not succeeded uh, in parallel to deliver some public goods through taxation. We don't have uh, a proper energy taxation now. Uh, our model uh, dates from 2003, and uh, it's not adapted to the fight against uh, climate change. We don't have yet, hopefully, but I'm conscious also that it will be difficult, a digital taxation at the European level, um, even if um, I will try until the ECOFIN of March to reach an agreement. We don't have a financial uh, transaction tax. We don't have CCCTB. We don't have uh, a new regime of VAT, which would be long-lasting. We are living with a temporary regime, which is now uh, 26 years old, which is quite long for something that is temporary. And so uh, I know uh, the, the qualities of the actions that we've led, and I'm proud of what I've done in that uh, direction, but I also know the limits of the action, and the limits have a name. It's unanimity. And we will never be capable of delivering structural reforms on the field of taxation without a QMV or with unanimity. The third reason uh, is that the unanimity rule costs billions of euros every year to European taxpayers, uh, to companies, to member states, mostly because precisely of tax fraud uh, and tax evasion and the revenue gap. Uh, these uh, are all resources that are not used uh, to finance uh, schools, uh, broadband connections, climate actions uh, throughout Europe, and this is truly shameful. Um, on important issues, which are costly for societies, uh, many of our pro pro propositions, proposals, as I said, are blocked in the Council because unanimity can't be found. And uh, to be more precise, today the absence of an agreement on intra-community VAT uh, represents um, uh, 147 billion uh, not collected uh, each year, including 50 billion due to cross-border fraud alone. Uh, beyond the fight against uh, revenue loss, some reforms that could help to generate um, savings for businesses and boost growth in the EU are still blocked. Uh, I will give you another figure. Uh, the introduction of a CCCTB, a Consolidated Corporate Tax Base, would allow the EU to add 1.2% uh, to our growth and save more than 1 billion euros in administrative costs for our companies, which still have to deal with 28, 28 sets of um, accounting rules. How long can we uh, tolerate such a situation? Um, uh, uh, I think we cannot tolerate that long and that member states need to act now. And last but not least, and this is important uh, for me since the beginning of this mandate, uh, I advocated, you know that, for uh, a more democratic governance in the Eurozone. Um, I think that Europe uh, won't be uh, capable of defeating populism as long as uh, it appears as a bureaucracy uh, or uh, as long as the citizen doesn't think that he has taken back control on European decisions. Democracy is a key word. And the unanimity rule, of course, by definition, is weakening democracy. Um, I, I wanted to conclude with this point because I, I know how crucial it is for all of us. In the last few years, uh, the European Parliament has played a, a crucial role in tax matters. And I want to 
seize this opportunity to pay tribute to its impressive work. Uh, the Parliament has been all the time an ally of the Commission in the fight to reform European taxations, uh, and it did so as well through uh, work in committees, plenaries, and through special committees, uh, tax one, two, three. Um, and I have had a very regular and fruitful exchange uh, within the framework of special committees set up uh, for this purpose. However, even uh, if Parliament has fully taken up this issue, uh, let's be conscious also that their role uh, remains only consultative when it comes to policy uh, response. And this is uh, very clearly a problem uh, of democracy and, of course, of representation. It is abnormal, uh, maybe even anti-democratic, that decisions that affect the lives of all European citizens are taken without any uh, control over their uh, elected representatives. Secondly, it also raises a, a consistency issue with uh, other EU policies. It is odd that the European Parliament that has a say in the distribution of CO2 emissions between member states, but not in the tax incentives uh, when it comes to renewable energy or, or polluting activities, uh, because both, uh, of course, go hand in hand. Tomorrow, uh, if the transition to qualified majority voting um, is adopted, the European Parliament could be, will be, a co-legislator and the interests of all Europeans would be better represented. And this seems crucial to me at a time when Europeans' desire for representation and thirst for democracy are so strong. Not only strong, but truly vital. And again, this is in line with history. So, to... Uh, have a final word. Uh, I'm convinced that the change from unanimity to majority voting in tax matters will be a, a true innovation for the European Union tax policy, uh, which could finally reach uh, its full potential. And I can see when I look at your barometers that this is now uh, one of the major issues uh, expected, uh, weighted by uh, our citizens. Today and in the coming months, the important thing is to have the discussion and to encourage member states to, to take a stand and be accountable uh, to their citizens. I'm uh, very conscious uh, that uh, this uh, won't happen during the mandate of this parliament, uh, this commission, but I think it was high time to um, uh, raise the debate. I hope that this debate will be present in the electoral campaign. And again, I hope that the next parliament will stand firm with a very strong majority to tell member states, uh, you cannot do that on your own. These are matters of common interest, and these common interests deserve a true European democracy. We are the seat of the true European democracy, and that's why we need QMV. I'm quite sure that this will help member states to uh, reflect, because my experience as a former minister, I've been uh, seven years a minister in my country, and this includes two years as a finance minister, is that uh, member states uh, move and their ministers move in the council uh, when they feel that there is a, a public uh, pressure, a public opinion uh, expressing its uh, will, uh, and it's high time to do that. That's why, well, it was a strategic move. Uh, I thought it was uh, good to wait until now, because uh, if not, the issue would would be dead already. I think it's good that it is in the debate of the elections. Uh, and, uh, well, after all, uh, I, I'm not too, uh, too uh, worried that the ministers didn't love it immediately. 
I would say, uh, even I'm delighted for that. And to tell you, I never say how councils go, but after a long round of exchanges in last ECOFIN, my final word was to tell them, well, okay, uh, this might not be for this commission. This might not even be for the next commission. But that's the sense of history. This will happen, and you will be wrong. Thank you. Okay, um, thank, thank you very much, uh, Commissioner. And uh, if I could ask my Paula, ask my uh, co-panelists to, to join me here today. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, so, uh, so uh, I think you, you you raised a lot of issues, of course, and uh, which we can discuss. And I think we can perhaps sort of broadly group them uh, around three three main issues. I think the first big issue that you raise is um, is there a lot of tax evasion and tax competition on the more mobile tax uh, tax basis? And I think. My, my, my gut feeling in this direction is, uh, and I think some, some data uh, show this, indeed we do have a problem with um, taxation of capital income um, as well as of big multinational companies relative to smaller companies. So, so this is sort of one sort of on the constat, on the what, what do we find. Now the second big issue you raise is this issue of sovereignty which is a little bit more complicated, and I'd be delighted to hear from, uh, from my, my co-panelists what, what they think about it. I mean, of course, setting a tax rate, if you come to, e to that level through qualified majority voting, does have immediate implications for national budgets and even regional budgets. And so, so how do we square that circle of having a national sovereignty over a national budget while seeing some constraints coming from uh, uh, European decision making, and so I'd, I'd, be, uh, I'd be delighted to hear uh, to hear that discussion. And of course, the last and perhaps the the most complicated point, for, especially for economists, uh, is the issue of democracy, right? Which is a sort of uh, what what is democracy? I mean, is uh, is it currently really undemocratic um, that the sovereign that currently is the national parliaments decide? Uh, or uh, is, it, uh, is it in fact uh, um, uh, more democratic if, um, if we have a qualified majority voting combined with a co-decision? I think what, what you of course said very clearly, you, you, you foresee a double, a double vote at the end of the day, right? I mean the, the council plus the, the European Parliament jointly, uh, I mean, each of them voting on, on tax matters in the future. So, so, so I think these are sort of the three big topics, it seems to me, that we need to discuss today. And I would uh, like to give the floor to each of you, uh, not too long, um, because the commissioner will have to leave a quarter past three. And I do want to give a little bit of time also for the audience uh, to, to ask one or two questions. So, so perhaps we go in... Uh, uh, well, you, uh, we start on my right, uh, Paola, and then uh, and then Johannes. Um, not more than five to seven, seven minutes, perhaps, for okay. your. Okay. So first of all, thank you very much for um, for asking me to come here to comment on this proposal on this very important issue. And uh, I prepared my comments starting from the last part, which is probably uh, the issue of democracy, the issue uh, of uh, uh, what this means for uh, Europe and for European citizens, which is uh, probably um, the um, 
the, the dimension I'm more, um, I'm more familiar with. So uh, what we see, and that this was also true in the, uh, this was also very clear in the, in the words of the, uh, of the commissioner, uh, we, we see some uh, challenges in Europe in general because of the economic crisis, uh, the security crisis, uh, the increasing inequality, social vulnerability. I mean, all these things uh, have a, a challenge on one side, but on the other side, a kind of uh, opportunity to have a better uh, intervention or action from, uh, from the uh, EU. Uh, sometimes uh, it's very clear from the citizens' point of view that there is some inaction, there is a lack of coordination, lack of agreement among the member states, and all these things have nurtured the emergence of populism, for example, as a rejection of the European uh, integration projects uh, or uh, even the rise of the uh, extreme, uh, extreme uh, extremist parties. So this is spreading uh, somehow around uh, Europe as a defense of nationalist identity as opposed also to the uh, European one. So this was uh, somehow a kind of answer which we see uh, um, spreading around European countries to uh, some difficulties and challenges in terms of growth, stability, and democracy in, uh, in our Europe. Of course, there is another possible answer, which is uh, having a stronger Europe, somehow more coordination, and uh, uh, this needs, uh, requires some, uh, some, uh, some reforms, some new tools, for example, in the, in the area of tax coordination. So I also went through the um, Eurobarometer survey data, and actually, in autumn 2018, I found that 42% uh, of European citizens uh, say that they trust the European Union, 48% they do not trust and 10% don't know. And the values are even different across countries. For example, in Greece, only 26% trust the European Union, uh, while in 2006, the, the, the percentage was much higher. So uh, this is because uh, it was 57%. So there is a clear uh, space for improvement, for a possibility to work in this, uh, in this direction, and the project of more integration goes exactly in this, uh, in this direction. Direction. Uh, so, um, of course, um, the, 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 the unanimity rule uh, implies uh, less coordination because the veto of just one member state is enough to prevent agreement. And now, with 28 uh, countries, this is much more difficult for, uh, from what, what happened before. It was much less problematic with a smaller number of, uh, of countries. And uh, as you said, it's also used in many other areas. So, uh, changing the unanimity rule is probably uh, a, a very important uh, point, a very important starting point for having more integration and more coordination. And uh, looking at the point of view of the let's say, of the citizens, uh, there is, uh, uh, there is uh, some, some debate. For example, when, when, we, uh, when, the citizens, when there was this, uh, this, uh, this debate on the case of uh, Apple, for example, that was decided by EU antitrust regulators within the state uh, aid procedure, so Ireland was granting illegal tax benefits to Apple. So uh, this uh, probably, uh, of course, this is very strong from, uh, from a citizen citizen point of view, because the idea is that somehow these large corporations, these big uh, tech industries or digital industries <coughs> may find a way to uh, avoid taxes uh, while uh, the, 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 the 
the citizen or uh, the, the work, which is much less mobile, uh, find it really more difficult. So it's, uh, uh, for a dependent worker, it's much more difficult to, to move or to, uh, in order to avoid taxes. So this is for sure something that at the end is bad in the sense that it nurtures populism, anti-European sentiment. So we wonder what we can do in order to coordinate before exempt and try to avoid this type of, uh, of phenomenon, this type of situations. Of course, um, unanimity also means a very slow decision process, so there is also an issue of efficiency somehow behind. And, uh, um, and, uh, uh, and also uh, other uh, areas. So uh, I made the example in, in the sense of uh, combating tax uh, abuse uh, and uh, this uh, base erosion and profit shifting uh, actions, but also the, uh, the, the fact that we needed a proper digital tax or a proper, uh, a proper tax on environment. Uh, this would be, would be possible uh, with, the, uh, with the change. Uh, there are even stronger some, somehow uh, ideas, among, especially among uh, academics. So there is this idea, for example, of guaranteeing even a, a national, uh, even a national fiscal union with uh, uh, with uh, with the um, European fiscal union uh, beyond the national ones uh, to intervene into the economy, even when there are uh, crises. So this is even more. This is a, a step further. I'm not saying, but. Uh, I mean, we, we know that these issues are very important. So probably starting at least with this, uh, more coordination based on the majority, uh, on the qualified majority is a, is a first uh, important step. So why uh, has unanimity failed somehow? I just want to, uh, of course, uh, unanimity, uh, we, we know, I mean, those are um, from basic uh, theory of public choice. We know that it's almost impossible to reach unanimity uh, from aggregation of heterogeneous preferences. I mean, it's a kind of uh, failure. Uh, we have uh, famous impossibility theorem. So, um, and the EU countries are heterogeneous uh, according to several dimensions. They are heterogeneous uh, also on their view of the size, the role of governments, uh, on the level of economic development, political institutions, country size, the way they are open or, no, or more specialized. What, what is their preferred somehow tax, uh, their favorite tax instrument? Uh, I mean, they, they, they really are different, and of course, this makes it very difficult to, 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 to agree uh, when, uh, when it comes to, uh, to tax uh, issues and tax coordinations. They are different in terms of size. As the small countries, for example, they rely much more on um, level of taxation in order to attract uh, to attract. Uh, firms, uh, and this is part of their budget. So uh, to go to the, 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 the issue of uh, the implications for the national budget. So this is a serious issue. But this heterogeneity at the end is exactly what, uh, what makes it difficult to uh, apply unanimity. And so uh, it's something that we really have to take into account. And of course, as, a, as the last part of the story, it's difficult to, uh, I think it's difficult to change unanimity if we need unanimity to change it. So, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, so uh, this is probably the, the most difficult part uh, uh, of the story in terms of changing the procedural, uh, the, the, the procedure we are discussing uh, this afternoon. Uh, so uh, exactly the fact that we are uh, uh, close to the elections may help to open the debate 
state because we know that this type of reforms are somehow uh, easier in, uh, in this times. Uh, it's important to have, uh, to inform citizens and individuals so the fact that there is this perception of Europe as, let's say, a little bit more distant, we, uh, it would be good to have in the debate the idea that, uh, you, uh, that uh, a new rule would go in the direction of reducing rather than increasing this. So we have to explain this to, to citizens, let's say. There is also an issue of gradualism probably, so how to change the, uh, the rule uh, immediately or uh, like uh, in, in some steps, uh, depending on the type of issues uh, that are, uh, that are um, discussed uh, that are discussed under the uh, under the new rules and possibly there is also the possibility that some countries will agree immediately and they probably should uh, start working in that direction those who agree and the others somehow will follow of course a dual system is never uh, is never uh, the best thing it's a second best of course it's not uh, uh, it's not the first best but in, in somehow to start the process so we need, uh, we need some action to start in, uh, in some direction. Thank you. Great. Uh, thank you very much. Um, so let's, let's move to our second discussant, Johannes, um, and then we will give, uh, give back the floor uh, to you, uh, uh, Mr. Commissioner. Uh, Johannes, yes. Yeah, um, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, uh, I would like to start with the question of democracy. Um, I don't think that the decision between unanimity and uh, majority voting is a question of right or wrong, or um, democratic or undemocratic. It's a question of whether we are there yet, if, if the time is ripe. Um, and it seems that uh, the majority voting is accepted by groups, by homogeneous groups, which have a very uh, strong group uh, identity. And um, unanimity is important in groups where there are many which are fractionalized, which have many subgroups with each of them having their own identity. Belgium comes to mind, or Switzerland, right? And the question is, uh, how does that look like in taxation? And uh, from my perspective, it seems that these taxation identities are very stable. So it, it's, it's not that likely that, for instance, Ireland will find itself in the same coalition, so to speak, with Germany as it is for France to be in the same group of interest uh, as Germany, right? So there is the case for unanimity voting here because we have these tax identities, uh, Germany being the high-tax country, the production location, Ireland being the low-tax country, the holding location or the headquarters location, right? Um, so um, I think there there is a case for unanimity voting um, and it, it will be... A project for the future to develop a group identity for Europe as a whole, right? But that said, I don't think that it is right to frame this whole discussion uh, just in terms of harmonization or the subsidiarity. That's, that's also wrong because we have had some harmonization, the four freedoms, for instance, and this has paved the way for tax competition. Okay, so we have these, um, we have a lot of tax competition in Europe. Right? And you have a whole set of instruments to engage in tax competition unilaterally, but you're very limited uh, in fighting tax competition due to these four freedoms. Right? So there's an inherent asymmetry. Okay? So, so it's, it's very, very hard to fight on your own against um, 
against uh, tax competition by other countries. So there are these externalities. So there, there is a case for regulating tax competition on the European level. And this is very hard. So I agree with uh, Pierre Moscovici here. Uh, this is very hard without having something like, uh, uh, like the majority rule. But then again, I would say, um, I'm not, I'm, I do not agree that uh, we cannot do anything. So we have done a lot and we have achieved a lot. And um, I'm very happy with the, with the, with the progress in recent years. Um, and uh, so as it came up, uh, the uh, digital services tax, I'm pretty sure that we would have a digital services tax if some large countries, for instance Germany, would have been um, not so ambiguous about it. So I'm, I'm not sure that we really depend on the unanimity rule. If we have a strong, decided coalition of countries that, uh, that, that want to push through something, uh, either by uh, via uh, enhanced cooperation or by, by um, well, by, by pushing through, by, by finding some consensus, I think very, very much is possible. Right? So um, for now, I think um, that the uh, unanimity rule is too attractive. Why? Because tax competition is attractive for some countries. So before, before we have a chance to get rid of uh, the unanimity rule, um, we must take measures to make tax competition less attractive. Right? So for instance, I think if we find a large enough coalition of countries that, uh, that uh, apply a minimum tax, that makes it less attractive to, to shift profits to some low-tax uh, jurisdictions or tax havens within the EU, Right? Then, then it becomes less attractive to, to be on the other side, so to speak. Right? And um, so unanimity rule is, is, is important for those who find themselves uh, in, a majority, in, in a minority and know that they will be in that minority all the time. And uh, if your whole business model is built on, a, on something that is, that is in danger, if we have majority voting, you won't give, um, give it up but we can, we can uh, reduce the attractiveness of this uh, without the unanimity rule. And I think a lot of that is going on um, in the BEPS process and uh, in uh, projects going on within the EU. And this can be done without the unanimity rule. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so, so there has been a little bit uh, too much agreement, I have to admit, here on the panel. So, uh, so, so, so perhaps before I give back um, the floor to you, let me let me add a sort of um, uh, a comment that was made um, by a prominent uh, person in the country I know best, um, which was a sort of, and I, I would love to have your reaction to that one, which was basically to say, well, look, if we move to unanimity. Uh, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to qualified majority voting, um, we will have the problem that uh, post-Brexit, uh, the Northern European countries uh, are in a minority and uh, can be overruled, and uh, then this instrument will be used so that taxation income flows into the EU budget and will uh, be redistributed uh, around in, in, in the European Union. So this fear was expressed um, in my country, by by a prominent a prominent economist, and and so so I just would like to hear your reaction. I mean, to I mean, there there is clearly this fear in some quarters that you know once you introduce that, 
you know, it will be misused. It will not just be used. And you know, there I'm, I'm grateful that Johannes was was emphasizing this point. I mean, that we have an issue in a single market where a capital market, capital goods, labor, everything is very integrated. We have an issue that. Uh, by, by its nature, the single market makes it easy to do tax, uh, tax avoidance, right? But then there is the fear, well, will this not be misused for, for other purposes? And perhaps you can, can react to that point. Maybe um, I want to react to, to one point uh, raised by Johannes, it was about the, the story of the digital tax. I've been a commissioner since now almost five years, in a few months at the of the mandate, and I must say, these were, for the tax commissioner, exceptional years. When I was uh, first nominated uh, as a commissioner, I knew that I was going to be uh, responsible of economy and finance. I didn't know that I was going to be uh, in charge of taxation. And I learned that just during the press conference of Jean-Claude Juncker. And, uh, yeah. and I asked him a few years ago, as we are a good friend, but Jean-Claude, why didn't you tell me? And he told me, I was afraid you would refuse. <laughs> uh, and this is quite uh, uh, significant, because when I was finance minister just before, I must say, with all due respect to my predecessor, Mr. Chemeta, that when my uh, team came to see me, minister, you need to meet the tax commissioner. And I told them, your finance minister is quite a hectic life. Do I really have to meet him? Yes, minister, you know, just like in the game. Why? Well, he has some issues. He wants to talk to you about VAT on horses. There is also an infringement uh, procedure, and there is also a case in the court. Okay, okay. Let's meet Mr. Shemeta for half an hour. Um, and, and 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 during the 20 years before, let's say that's not Mr. Shemeta. Especially, there was no capacity at all to decide on anything on taxation, and so it was really a, a, a portfolio which was a sacrifice. Um, and it has changed. Why? Uh, I would say several matters, uh, but you cannot consider that those matters are there forever. Uh, first, the, there is change in the international scope. Uh, FATCA, then uh, BEPS, uh, the G20 involvement, uh, the OECD role. Uh, this is one thing, uh, establishing tax good governance standards. Uh, second, uh, scandals. And uh, uh, for me, the, the scandal is always something which is a disaster. But for uh, somebody who is a policymaker, it's, it's an opportunity. And I would say that my strategy was always, there is a scandal, let's build a response. And so it took uh, seven months to have a directive, whilst before it took seven years not to have one. That's very different. Uh, third, uh, media, uh, linked to scandal. Then the raise of a public opinion, saying we cannot stand it. And this is also linked to the crisis. And finally, I must say in the commission, there was a strategic choice for, for, from Jean-Claude Juncker, because obviously it's not just before, because I would have refused. He, he thought it was important to have that as a priority. Because after the Lux leak, he said, well, this commission must show uh, that uh, we're really uh, uh, an example on that. And I must say that the president of the commission Sometimes he's suspected, you know, he's a former prime minister of Luxembourg. Never, ever, I had a total white card. I never lost an arbitrage inside the commission, uh, including on uh, matters that could be controversial, such as public CBCR. 
uh, he was always on the side of fighting tax fraud and tax evasion. And so it is a priority in this commission. Let's imagine that tomorrow, well, the uh, uh, international uh, impetus loses uh, strength, that uh, scandals become an habit, uh, that uh, in the commission it's no more a priority, that it's not anymore a big portfolio with the commissioner who has the capacity to address uh, the issue and to talk to public opinion. Okay, in the next commission, in the next five years, it can come back uh, in the past. And this is why you cannot say, okay, you can do things through unanimity as such. Uh, I would take a, a, another of your points. It's about digital taxation. It's clear, uh, I can be frank here, that uh, it would have been better if there would have been a, a stronger and earlier agreement between France and Germany. France was really the driving engine with the Commission, and Germany was, if not reluctant, hesitant. And they just came uh, at the last day uh, with the last-minute proposal in December, uh, which was an amendment, finally, of the uh, Commission's proposal. And it would have created, I think, of course, a better uh, climate if it would have been an agreement. But I'm quite sure that it would not have been sufficient. Uh, you would have had an agreement between 25 member states, probably. But then you come to the three uh, member states which are still opposing at present time, Ireland, Denmark, Sweden, and it wouldn't have been enough. I was a finance minister when we were uh, working on the savings uh, directive. It was before the mandate of this commission. Well, uh, until the end, uh, Austria and Luxembourg blocked, and uh, there was a, a Franco-German agreement, which was very clear. So, uh, not to be too long, uh, I, I come then to the democratic issue. What is Europe? Uh, it's 28 member states who have put a part of their sovereignty in common. And on tax matters, we are not touching their sovereignties. We're not touching on rates. Uh, it's very limited. It's uh, some aspects of taxation, uh, which are cross-border, some rules. Um, uh, we are not going to, to, to take everything from uh, member states. We don't want it. Uh, I, I cannot touch on a tax rate. I'm not going to even propose that. But if we are not capable of defining a general interest, and also to accept that we have common rules, then we can say that's the end of the story. And I don't know who is the prominent economist. I know that Bogdan Schauble is in favor of QMV. I know that not, he's not an economist. I know that uh, uh, neither I am. Uh, I know that uh, Olaf Scholz also uh, said he was in favor of QMV. Uh, there are conservative politicians in Germany. But I can imagine uh, this, that kind of reflects. But if you play a game when you uh, think that uh, the same are always the winners and the others are always the losers, that's not called democracy. That's called something different. And in the end, it raises a problem. And that's what populists finally are against. And so when you're in democratic rule, you accept sometimes to be in the majority, sometimes to be in the minority. But we're not talking about simple minority or majority. We are talking about qualified majority sure. voting. And you can even define the level of qualification. I will take again the example of Digitax. I don't know how many votes in the council represent Ireland plus Denmark plus uh, Sweden. 7% maybe? Uh, if you take the, another criteria, which is population, what's the same? 7%? Something? 10%? Well, 
Can you say that you're blocked forever? Because I, I'm, I'm nothing against them. Huh? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I fully respect the present rule. But for the future, if we are not capable to take that kind of decisions to qualified majority voting, it's very likely that uh, then you will stop moving on. Uh, and this is also good for uh, Eurozone matters. And I can see that's another point. Uh, with a high degree of preoccupation, uh, the aggressivity of some ministers inside your group, uh, and we've, we live that way, uh, we are not going anywhere uh, as far as Eurozone reform is concerned. So democracy is good uh, at all levels. Uh, was a short story. Okay, great. Um, so I, I think we have a little bit of time for, for questions, remarks, comments. Um, please uh, raise your hands and do identify yourself when you, when you ask a question. There's a gentleman there in the back. There. Me first, I guess. Uh, hi, uh, Peter Arc from the Polish Economic Institute in Warsaw. Uh, I wanted to ask, uh, you know, because unanimity is uh, probably, as some of the speakers said, a, a bit of a, a failed issue that you won't get those countries to agree, some of those, as, as you mentioned, to agree on that issue. But maybe there are other things. For example, the uh, VAT gap or the fight, because you mentioned that, that you, we have 150 billion uh, euros uh, not going to the tax pay, uh, you know, to the tax offices, and this is, could be an issue that could, you know, uh, unite most of the European countries, and the, uh, in a way, and also increase the level of taxation uh, uh, in most of the uh, in most of the countries. Because you know, Poland has a good record with that, for example, from the 2.5 GDP um, tax uh, VAT gap in 2012 to 1.1. <laughs> Uh, in 2018, uh, probably the Commission's data is going to confirm that. Uh, but it's you know something that most of the countries can cooperate on. Thanks. Thank you. We have uh, here the lady. No, no, there. Uh, my name is Bernadette Segol. I'm the former General Secretary of the European Trade Union Confederation. Um, you have mentioned that you envisage only a few um, um, topics on which unanimity would be, uh, or qualified majority would be uh, the rule. But you also said in your introduction that uh, taxation was uh, uh, requiring unanimity, but also social matters. And I wonder if in the list of the things you would like to see as a qualified majority voting for tax, you, you would include labor taxation. Right. So then we have a gentleman here. Thank you very much. Panos Gredis, representing European Public Organization. Let me put uh, next to the strong word, word used many times of democracy today, in taxation matters, the other word, hypocrisy, that means also in terms of politics. In taxation, common consolidated tax base, 26 years discussing Commission, European Parliament, big parties, no decision. You mentioned that the taxation of savings took a lot of time. Could we say that is a kind of uh, illusion to discuss to abolishing the unanimity for taxation? Thank you. Thank you. We have a one more question here uh, in the front. So third row, sorry. 
Thank you, Commissioner. I'm a journalist with Law 360. My name is Todd Buell. And you mentioned something very early in your, in your uh, remarks about how you said, you know, some countries have tax practices or, or do things, that, your words were used, on the edge of legality. And I, I just wonder rhetorically, is that the right way to try to convince countries to move in a direction of unanimity when you're when you, like, basically pointing the finger at them and saying you're doing something that's more or less illegal? I mean, don't you expect them to just say, no, we're not, and we're going to basically walk away from the table? I, it just caught my ear, and I'd like to ask you about that. So thanks. But perhaps we take those four already. <laughs> the first question is, and it's, there are also remarks from Paula and Jonas, but how to convince, how right. to convince to move to, you, you said yes. that in the end, to move to unanimity? Because we need unanimity yes. to get to qualified majority voting. My experience is that the game changer, as far as tax fraud and tax evasion is concerned, was and is public opinion. And this is why, frankly speaking, what I'm raising here is a political debate. And I'm doing that now precisely because there is uh, the European election and there will be a new European Parliament. Because if there is no public opinion. If there is no pressure from the outside in the room of the council, then we're stuck with unanimity forever. If there is a public debate, if there are commitments taken by European political parties, if the next European Parliament has, I would say, when I look at tax matters, uh, there is no EPP, no PS. Of course, there is some subtleness. But on all matters that I've raised, I see a majority of something like 500 to 550 MEPs who are in favor of that. You've got only the strict nationalists who are against. Then I think that's a game changer because the parliament will be confronted or confronting uh, member states and it will be a very powerful ally. So uh, to obtain unanimity, uh, it's not only about discussing in Brussels or in the council. It's also about public opinion. It's about politics. Uh, and of course, after that, you can use this or that example. When I look at VAT, uh, we have proposed a, a reform to move to a definitive uh, VAT regime, uh, which could save probably 40 out of the 50 billion euros fraud on cross-border VAT. Everybody knows it. That's not enough. So it's not only about rationality. Uh, to convince, you need to use uh, those rational examples, but you need also uh, to introduce some uh, political uh, debate. Uh, what is the... I cannot read myself. Well, um, this, this issue of bordering legality, um, whether that was the right pitch. Yeah. That, that, uh, I, I didn't try to be rhetoric for a minister here. Uh, I know that, uh, of course, we are talking in public. But there is no secret about that. Uh, <coughs> there is no tax haven inside the EU. No. And this is something uh, that sometimes uh, I'm being reproached by uh, uh, some NGOs telling me, OK, your blacklist of tax havens, for example, is not relevant because you don't have this or this or that um, EU country. And I can define the point, and I say that, that there is no EU country, which is a tax haven. 
if you look at international standards on tax code governance, they all have automatic exchange of information, they all uh, are BEPS compliant, and none of them has zero rates. Okay, so I'm, I'm not uh, naming and shaming. But it might be a slight nuance. We've said, and it was in s s some of our CSRs for seven countries, that some countries have legislations that are still uh, too favorable uh, to uh, n n not fraud, but aggressive tax planning, aggressive, excessive tax optimization. Once I tried in a semantic effort to call them black holes, which would, was a bit provocative too. And it's true that when we discussed that in the framework of the ECOFIN, it was not the best uh, council I ever had with those seven ministers. <laughs> but well, still, uh, it, it's in the, our CSRs. Um, and so um, I think things must be said frankly. And what I observe is that it helps them change. Uh, I, I will give the example of one particular country, which is Netherlands. Why? Because Netherlands are making now considerable effort to change uh, a kind of culture, uh, which is uh, to, to, to try to be uh, attractive uh, through uh, a, a very strong uh, tax competitiveness. And so uh, I think things are moving in the right direction. I didn't want again to name and shame. Uh, that's not the way I will try to convince, but I was trying to explain maybe why some are reluctant to uh, unanimity. Others for uh, different matters, and I can understand that. Uh, you were talking about Poland, for example. I'm very well aware that those countries who have joined the EU in the um, uh, early years of this century uh, did that to recover national sovereignty, and uh, that it's always difficult to ask them to share the sovereignty on delicate matters because they feel that it is renouncing to something. And my argument is that, no, you're not renouncing to your national sovereignty. You're gaining, on the contrary, uh, some leeway uh, on those matters and some action uh, in the world. And again, this is limited to our tax matters. I was asked by Bernadette uh, about uh, labor uh, market or labor taxes. This is something we cannot do because it's not in our competences uh, as uh, EU. Uh, we don't have uh, competences on individual taxes or on labor taxes. But uh, to um, add uh, one point, I'm commissioner for, 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 for tax, so I'm talking about QMV on tax. But this commission is favorable to QMV on other matters which are mostly uh, external policy yeah. and social policy. And as well, my colleague uh, Federica Mogherini and my colleague Margaret uh, Marianne Tyson are very supportive of moving through qualified majority. Our view is that unanimity uh, is uh, a remembrance of the past and that the QMV is progressively uh, becoming and must become uh, the general rule decision-making uh, in EU. But again, we're talking about qualified majority voting. Huh? We're not talking about sure. uh, the 50-50 rule. And you can also uh, raise a threshold and define, I don't know, super uh, qualified super majority. Qualified uh, majority uh, yeah. that's, that's, that's a point that is political too. 
Okay, I think we have time for a few more more questions, two, three more questions. So I see one question here in the front, um, another one in the front. And if I could get one more uh, lady, then uh, we, are, we are well done. So please. Yeah, Holger Kramer. Does it work? I don't know. Yes. Yeah, Holger Kramer. I come from Germany and I spoke on behalf of myself. Huh? Um, just a political topic. Um, many people in Germany, it's maybe very German, I don't know, but I could imagine you have the same situation in France, have the feeling that they are overtaxed. Yeah, so in Germany, the local level is grabbing our pockets, the regional level is grabbing our pockets, the federal level uh, is grabbing our pockets, and now we start a discussion that the EU level is grabbing our pockets. And let's be realistic, if your idea is coming to life, uh, it will be an on top tax, not an instead of anything tax. Uh, are you really sure that we create enthusiasm uh, in a broader range of people and citizens? Uh, I have in mind that especially in France you had demonstration because of some sense of diesel taxation. Uh, that's that's a little bit the question. If, how, what, what do you think about really about the acceptance of that? Yeah, and the second thing is more a legal thing. Um, also very German maybe. Uh, taxation issues are topics, fundamental topics of national sovereignty. Yeah? I could imagine that if it comes to a constitutional court decision in Germany, that an idea like this will not survive this court. Okay, uh, there's the second here. Michael Gassaniera from the University of Brussels. Uh, from my perception of, uh, of negotiation, if you want things to move uh, against uh, a few players, you need a bargaining chip. So shouldn't the commission actually encourage a core to form uh, a unified tax base with perhaps uh, a tax on whatever comes out because you are below some floor? Uh, that would encourage the, the minority to join the rest? So, so a group of countries uh, going yes, ahead? Yes, with a CCTV for say 10 countries, uh, core countries that could have a, a threat on whatever so, comes out should be taxed somewhere. And I have a lady all the way at the back, and then uh, we conclude the questions. Yes, and you... You will get a chance after. Thank you. Yeah. I'll make life a bit easier. Um, I'm Louise Heenan. I'm the Irish Fiscal Attaché. And seeing as we've been mentioned a little bit, I thought it might be worth taking the floor. Um, it's been a very interesting debate. I'm not going to deny that taxation is a very sensitive issue for every member state. But I thought because the Commissioner has been very um, elaborate in saying that this is, you know, timed in with view to the European Parliament elections, which are forthcoming. I wondered whether we should also consider building maybe on the first question we've had in this round, whether you've also engaged with national parliaments, because in the ECOFIN discussion that was quite an issue um, raised by some, in particular Northern European finance ministers, that their national parliaments wouldn't see it as an enhancement of democracy to move from the national to the European level. I think the role of a national parliament in setting tax policy shouldn't be underestimated. If you look at the Apple decision in Ireland, for example, more than two-thirds of the Irish parliament, so cross-party support, um, supported the government's decision to appeal that, and that's an issue that's currently before the European courts. So if you could just maybe reflect also not only from the European perspective, but from the national perspective. Thank you. Uh, first on, uh, on, uh, on over-taxation. This is certainly an issue. And when I was finance minister myself, 
Uh, I made myself famous for a remark saying that I felt that people expressed a ras-le-bol fiscal. No more taxes. And that's what we have seen in France six years after with the Gilets Jaunes. And obviously, people don't want to be overtaxed. But precisely, we're not talking about uh, taxes on individu individual revenues. We are not uh, talking about labor uh, taxes. We are talking about something different where I think our citizens don't feel there is overtaxation. And we'll again take the example of digital taxation. The problem is not that we have overtaxation on digital, that we've got obviously undertaxation, an enormous undertaxation, because those companies don't pay their fair share of tax where they create profits and value. They pay little or even no tax. And when uh, you said that my colleague, uh, Margaret Vestager, decided that uh, the fact that, sorry, Apple paid 0.05% uh, <coughs> effective rate was state aid, uh, that was precisely what we said. And if I sum up, I would say that digital companies pay something like 9% uh, for uh, corporate tax, while uh, other companies pay 23%. So we've got, on the contrary, a problem of level playing field. And if you ask the people, uh, do you think that digital companies uh, need to pay more? And I'm not talking about the GAFAs. I never speak about a GAFA tax, but digital companies. They will say, by an enormous majority, no, they don't pay enough tax. So I don't want to overtax uh, ordinary taxpayers, but I think that ordinary ta taxpayers think that they have been paying much too much, while uh, others uh, have been totally protected. And that's precisely what it is about. And that's precisely what our competence is about. For the uh, Constitutional Court, I know how difficult it is. I know uh, the role of the Bundestag. I, I, I certainly respect the role of national parliaments. Uh, because in the end, uh, if you imagine that uh, uh, the uh, member states would agree on the pastoral clause, this would need to be uh, also agreed and endorsed by all national parliaments. Uh, and I want to be very clear. Uh, the fact that there is QMB doesn't deprive uh, national parliaments from their role. First, to move to QMV, then when there is QMV, uh, and of course then uh, you're talking about your uh, famous economist in Germany, uh, the national parliament will always have its say. Uh, uh, for the constitutional court, I don't know, I'm not that competent on that, uh, but um, uh, I imagine, that I said, I don't know who is the uh, economist, but uh, people like Schauble and Charles uh, are precisely lawyers, and uh, usually they're very cautious with the uh, uh, constitutional cause. So uh, I imagine that uh, they believe that there is a way there, uh, and again, this can be discussed. As far as reinforced cooperation are concerned, because that's the technical name, for trying to build a unified base at some, if not all. I would say, in principle, uh, I'm deeply convinced that there is a way that uh, could be an avenue that could be uh, taken. Uh, I would certainly favor that. Uh, and we tried. Uh, on FTT, we, we launched a reinforced cooperation. Uh, Wolfgang Schaller and myself were the two ministers uh, proponent of that, and then we uh, uh, found a group of 11 countries, then 10, because one uh, withdrew its uh, consent from the reinforced cooperation. 
But it was early 2013, and we are early 2019, and there is no FTT either. So that's not that easy. I think to build the reinforced cooperation, you need to have first, uh, I would say, an agreement. Let, uh, I, I will say something which is absurd, huh? uh, but it's a kind of reasoning by absurd. Let's imagine that uh, on the DG tax, in the end, in March, that won't be exactly the case. You've got uh, 25 countries saying, we agree on this model. Three uh, oppose. Then it would be relevant that the 25 say, OK, we are doing something together. Because it would be uh, quick on a basis which is already known. Uh, if it's not the case, it's not really more practical to have a reinforced cooperation than to move through unanimity uh, at 28. Because the, the, the consensus is also, as you said, very difficult to build. Uh, so you need to have a pre-consensus to move to a reinforced cooperation. But uh, this can exist. And finally, uh, I fully respect uh, those countries who oppose Digitax, uh, whether they are uh, Ireland, uh, Sweden, or Denmark. And I understand why they're doing this. Uh, and I, I'm also very uh, aware of the opposition of some national parliaments uh, to, to that. So we'll see what happens in the Ecofin of March. But I'm saying that uh, in the future, uh, we cannot be stuck uh, by that. If we want to have a, an EU uh, who is not uh, just living uh, on what it is today, but uh, that can make progress, that can also deliver on those matters which are, uh, again, highly awaited by citizens, we need to move on. And that's why. I know that the debate I launched uh, is not uh, a pressure on today's government. And uh, I, uh, of course, uh, proposed that in the last ECOFIN. I, I was not surprised by the reaction of ministers. I've been before uh, moving to the Coreper. This is a debate for the future. But, well, we'll see it. Uh, I'm, I'm absolutely sure that it will take time of course, when we're saying uh, that there could be a first agreement on 2019, no. 2025, uh, maybe more realistic. But one last word, because uh, I'm sorry I will have to leave, but you maybe you could have gone. One, one minute. Uh, or maybe one more than one, yeah. two, three, four. And I, I had uh, something urgent to do now, which was unexpected. But one thing you must know about my proposal is that it's not a take it or leave it. Right. I'm not proposing to move all tax issues no, you have from steps, uh, yeah. unanimity to QMV. I'm proposing a progressive approach, uh, starting with those matters who are consensual, uh, such as uh, administrative cooperation. And this is, uh, of course, highly required. Look at the recent Cumex uh, scandal. Sure. Uh, then uh, other matters could be translated, and in the end, more. Uh, structural reforms could be translated after uh, the experience uh, or return on experience uh, on things which are more consensual. And uh, that's something that I think member states could consider. I understand that uh, a member state can say, okay, no, I'm not translating everything to a QMV, but part of it, what is already uh, almost in the uh, unanimity reasoning, why not? You know, one minister. I said about flattering ego, sent me uh, sent a letter to colleagues saying, I don't understand why Pierre Moscovici wants to move to uh, QMV. He's done so much as a tax commissioner. It's fantastic, 14 directives. Uh, but uh, so uh, I said, no, no I, I know what we've done. I know what we've not done. 
Uh, I know why we uh, succeeded. I know why we uh, also did not succeed. And we need something more structural than uh, just uh, flat ring, but I can also reverse the argument. If we can do that through unanimity, let's do that to QMV. That's, <laughs> more, that's much easier. And it, it's going even faster. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. Well, um, uh, so, so, so Johannes and uh, Paola, perhaps you want to react to one or two final points and then, uh, and then we close the session. Johannes? Uh, yeah, I have, I have a couple of, of, um, of points. So um, I think uh, staggering uh, such a reform is a good idea. Maybe one could even uh, start with, uh, I have the impression that the member states' interests are not so much opposed in VAT. Uh, so uh, and much more so in, in direct uh, taxation. Uh, so this is one point. Another point which hasn't been mentioned is uh, that if um, if we have centralized decisions uh, on uh, tax rules, this is only a partial uh, harmonization. Uh, as long as tax administration and enforcement stay in uh, in under national. Uh, sovereignty. Uh, so we have some experience in Germany with that. So tax administration is, is uh, it's crucial. Uh, it's it's a thing of the uh, lender, and uh, this plays a big role actually. Uh, so there are uh, um, systematic differences in the audit uh, culture, let's say, um, and that is uh, in line with the incentives uh, coming out of the fiscal equalization system. In Germany, so there's uh, this has to be kept in mind that if, if even if you have centralized rulemaking, if you uh, if a whole country thinks that a rule is wrong, then it's just not enforced, right? So that that everybody says, yeah, we have this rule on the European level, but we know that it's that it's not right. So go along without, uh, right? Um, yeah, a couple of more points. Uh, so this. Just a side remark, this overtaxation thing in Germany, the ratio of tax revenue to GDP is flat since the 1950s. Okay, so it goes a little bit up in, uh, in the boom, it goes a little bit down in the bust. Otherwise, it's flat. Yeah. Uh, I think equally overstated is uh, the argument of national sovereignty of taxation. We already have some important limits. We cannot have something like the American guilty in Germany, even if we wanted to, because we have European rules. Right? So, so there are already limits, but these are mostly <coughs> defensive. So we cannot, so um, the EU now forbids us to do something, and uh, I think to, uh, um, it, it is maybe it's time over long horizon to be a bit more um, uh, yeah, to, to, to be able to build something on the uh, on the European level and not, not so much just to outrule certain uh, uh, national initiatives. Um, yeah, a final remark maybe. Um, so what I what I think is so we now had representatives of four big member states here. And uh, I think um, I sometimes hear um, people from um, from periphery saying that um, during the euro crisis, they got the impression that Europe is ruled by Merkel, the French president, and the ECB president, right? And to uh, to shift to unanimity may reinforce these concerns that actually QMB. they the shift to QMB will yes. reinforce. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, well, okay. 
Paola. No, I, I would like to uh, to comment on the on the needs of public debate. I think it's a, uh, it's a very interesting because in order to um, in order to prove or to discuss this type of proposals, we need some public debate and we need the public opinion because we always have uh, country members that are uh, against, especially because of all the reasons that we said. But I think in this, uh, in this case, it should be really uh, well communicated somehow because the, the impression that this is an extra tax, which is not, uh, it may become very popular. And so this is a kind of risk in terms of, uh, of uh, how things uh, will go. So we, we of course, even in, in my country, citizens have the impression that they already pay too much taxes. But I uh, would use exactly uh, the opposite argument so that uh, uh, something which was said also before, that uh, given that you have the impression that you are paying so many taxes and you still also have the impression that if you are a big corporation or a digital corporation, you, you you don't you can have some uh, some alter some ways to uh, avoid. to avoid this so basically this is exactly going in the direction of uh, convincing people or I mean having more popular consensus uh, towards this uh, uh, this type of issues but if we uh, confound the idea that this is over taxation then uh, of course we will never uh, we will never move from uh, from uh, from where we are uh, although this uh, may be a a wrong perception because even in Italy the fiscal pressure is not much higher than in other countries but there is the perception that we are paying much more taxes than uh, than what is paid uh, in, uh, in other countries. So I think also there is a way to communicate which has to be a little bit more uh, effective or let's say a consensus so I don't know uh, whether this um, will enter the, the, the political campaign given that we are close to the elections uh, I understand the strategy of launching this exactly because uh, because of the because of this uh, of this moment, but probably uh, it has to be elaborated uh, also uh, with respect to uh, the way we communicate and we uh, and people uh, become aware uh, of uh, um, of the of the entire process. Also, the idea that there should be some kind of gradual process. On one side, it may be very attractive. On the other side, we know that when there are uh, veto players, and this mm. is uh, the case, uh, it may uh, gradual process is even more difficult because uh, because of the existence of, uh, of veto players, and this is the typical case. So uh, it's uh, it's a very complex issue. Well, uh, great. Uh, thank you so much uh, to both of you and to, uh, to all of you for, for having come today to today's event. I think this topic, uh, decision-making in taxation, uh, will be with us for some time. As the Commissioner said, probably not even solved in the, in the next Commission. But for sure, the debate is ongoing, and it will be continuing to, uh, to be there with us during the uh, campaign also for the European Parliament election. Thank you for coming.